This episode of Z Prime on the Grid is sponsored by Blue Pillar, who will be attending our ETS 19 conference in just a couple days. There's still time to register. Go to ETS19.co for more information. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing really well, Dylan. We just had our ETS 19 launch party. Um, We had that last night. So I got to connect with some people who are coming to the event that have been there before, but I also got to meet some new people that will be attending ETS 19 this year for the first time. So that's always exciting. And the other thing that was kind of a highlight from last night was we got to hear from Jackie Sargent, the general manager at Austin Energy, and she really got everybody at the party excited she took the microphone and said we keep your lights on and we keep your beer cold and everybody cheered and it was just kind of a really great time so really excited that the momentum leading up to ETS 19 is really building and I'm just really looking forward to the event oh man that's such a good line yes uh the event as of the release of this podcast is just days away so If you haven't yet, head over to ets19.co to check out our lineup agenda and registration information. And we have uh, a speaker at ETS19. I'm actually going to be on a a panel with this guy. We have Tom Willey, the CEO of Blue Pillar. He is an avid evangelist and active change agent for the transformation of the global energy ecosystem from the utility down to the consumer. And as CEO of Blue Pillar, he is leading the company's efforts to bring disruptive change by using Energy Network of Things solutions to make the world's facilities and critical infrastructure more energy efficient, resilient, and self-sufficient. That is a tall order, but I'm happy to have you on the podcast, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Dylan and Aaron. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate that warm introduction. That's a mouthful for sure, but we're trying to accomplish a lot of things in this industry, so we got to talk in long sentences, I think. It definitely sounds like you're trying to tackle a lot. Tell us a bit about Blue Pillar and your energy background. Yeah, well, I'll start with myself. My energy background is actually on both sides of the the meter. So I I started my career on the energy side, very much on the regulated utility front uh, and building smart grids and and specifically uh, networks that would communicate to meters, smart meters and smart transformer stations uh, with technology, sensor technologies and communications technologies that enable that, again, on the regulated utility side uh, through a company that was called Current. Uh, Current, before GE used the term Current. So this was a company that was uh, specifically focused on, on, on that front and had been specifically, interestingly enough, focused on the European market, where we had seen quite a bit of innovation around standards-based, open networking uh, that ultimately drove down the cost of smart metering and smart uh, uh, transformer-type uh, monitoring systems dramatically. Uh, and so that was kind of my first foray into the energy space and, and ran that company for 10 years. Uh, and then my second foray into the energy space has been at Blue Pillar, where I've been the CEO for five years. And Blue Pillar very much is focused on the other side of the meter, the actual consumer side of the meter, and very specifically around the CNI side. We, 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 we certainly talk about residential and certainly know it plays a huge role, but our particular focus happens to be on the CNI side. And I can talk more about what we do if, you, if you'd like. You've told me that you primarily deal with service providers and, and customers directly, but uh, you know, 
we talked to a lot of utilities. Are utilities trying to get behind the meter at all? Is there a place for them there? Yeah, I mean, that brings it really to the fundamental belief in, in the vision of the company. You know, the vision of the company is very much rooted in this in this belief that over the next 20 years, the disruption in the energy space is going to happen at the customer side. You know, there's been a huge amounts of investments on the grid on the grid side. There's still going to be distributed energy investments on the grid side. But there, you know, for the last really 20 years, we've been talking about smart meters and smart grid and so forth. Uh, and over the next 20 years, we're going to be talking about distribution and consumer engagement and, and, and the like. And so Blue Pillar's vision is if the next 20 years is going to be about disruption at the edge and behind the meter, then that disruption is fundamentally going to require data and control from those customer sites, either over their pre-existing pieces of equipment and systems or over new pieces of equipment and systems that get installed to you know, aid in this, uh, in this change. Uh, and unfortunately, and this is really where Blue Pillar comes in, if you look at how that data and control is ultimately obtained today, it is brutal. It is highly cost or high cost, uh, extremely time consuming to get. Typically, it's it's in the world of system integrators and every project's a custom project. Uh, and therefore, the ROIs of all of these energy services, energy applications, energy investments dramatically go down because the cost of getting the data and control you need to actually run them uh, is so dramatically high. And so Blue Pillar really started with a vision that if we could completely change the economics and the speed of implementation on behind the meter energy connectivity and control, that we could enable all all new types and quite frankly all all existing types of energy services and solutions that had been hard to validate or how hard to justify with positive ROIs because the upfront implementation cost was too much. Uh, and so that's the vision. And and to your point, that our customers come from two different perspectives then. One perspective is the CNI customers themselves finally realizing that if we could help them get that data and we could help them with information at economics that were you know, capable of being justified in their ROIs, that they could actually do things from an efficiency, sustainability, and, and resiliency perspective to change how they operate their buildings. And, and Blue Pillar has over a thousand facilities deployed and operational, some of the largest facilities in the world that have used our platform to literally help themselves. And then our second customers come from the people that want to sell new energy services or new energy applications to those CNI customers. This could be everything from demand response to energy management systems to uh, microgrid uh, companies, but people that want to sell them a new service that helps them become more efficient, resilient, or sustainable, but ultimately that service needs data or needs control over customer-sided equipment or systems, and many of them will hire Blue Pillar to build them those networks at, uh, at economics that are much better than what they could do internally or by hiring a system integrator. Just to clarify, though, is the large cost associated with collecting this data due to the, the price of the technology or inefficiencies in collecting and processing the data? Like, what, 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 which pain point specifically are you addressing? Yeah, sure. So, so if you look at the economics of getting data from and or control, and I, I put those in the same category. So when I say getting data, I, I always talk about secure control as well because it's it's an instrumental part of this. But when I talk when we talk about that that cost equation, 
typically and historically, this has been a world dominated by what the industry has called system integrators. And so what typically happens is if somebody needs data from a customer site, they will either hire a system integrator or have their own internal system integration team that will have an economic equation associated with it made up of the following items. One is, of course, the hardware costs associated with the addition of gateways or IoT gateways or sensors, uh, things that get added to the site in order to communicate to the equipment or systems. And of course, that's very, very understandable. It's, it's hardware cost that is required to get data uh, or these systems to speak. The second big part of the cost equation is the installation labor associated with actually installing that hardware and all of the costs associated with that. Typically, those are third-party electrical contractors or, or installation contractors get, that get used for that. And then the third, which is really where a ton of the time and cost is typically uh, uh, really uh, faced, is around the integration of that hardware with the systems in which it connects. So historically, you would in, you know, install a gateway, a, a building automation system is a great example. You would install a gateway and then the system integrator would come in and have to program and configure that gateway on site and they would charge by the hour or they would charge for their time associated with doing that and the cost associated with that labor would be significant and of course the implementation time would be dramatic. And then the fourth area and the last area, which very few people even think about, because quite frankly, the energy has, uh, the, the market hasn't scaled enough beyond very specific vertical applications like demand response. But the fourth area is around life cycle management of that network after it's installed. Because people don't realize, you know, if you're, if you're an electric utility or a retail energy service provider and you go in a thousand CNI customers with the new service that you've launched, well, now you have a thousand customer networks that you're relying on in order for that service to operate. That is a huge break fix problem. That's a huge life cycle management problem. And those costs add up dramatically, which includes cellular costs, cloud uh, data services costs, all the things that go into that life cycle as well. So there's really those four tiers of costs. And what's shocking is when you look at those four areas, almost everybody hones in on hardware as the biggest item. And it's literally the least component of the entire cost equation. As a matter of fact, if you look at IoT hardware, it's gone down by, by hundreds of percent over the last five years. You could buy IoT gateways now for sub $300 uh, when they used to be $3,000 five years ago. So the hardware cost is going dr down dramatically faster than the installation and the on-site system integration configuration costs. So I do want to kind of go back to something that was mentioned before we get a little more in depth about the technical stuff, and that's around kind of how CNI and utilities are approaching the distributed grid and DER. So Z Prime did a study on this uh, about a year and a half ago, and we asked 160 CNI customers, you know, what does the distributed grid and DERs mean to your organization's future success? And we had about 88% of CNI customers say that DERs and distributed grid are critical part of their company's future success. And we also asked, what does that look like in the next 12 to 24 months? And there is a very strong emphasis on trying to 
acquire some of these benefits through the distributed grid initiatives that these CNI customers are doing. And Tom, you actually mentioned some of these. The top four expected benefits from the CNI customers that we surveyed were cost savings, energy efficiency, improved reliability, and sustainability. So I just wanted to put that out there because I think it's important in setting the context that CNI customers are very focused on it, and we've seen it in our research. But going back to those benefits, how can having this kind of platform that we're starting to talk about behind the meter, how can that really help realize those benefits? Yeah, it, it, and I want to just highlight something you said there because it, it's just so rudimentary and so so easy to to talk about and yet we make it so complex so if you think about and we see the same thing in our business we've never done a, a an independent study the way you've done it uh, but we've we talk to our our cni customers all the time and they say exactly the same thing you know that energy is not their core business okay it's never their core business these cni customers do not they energy is a means to an end to produce whatever value they're creating as a business or or a hospital or a university and so what we find is almost every single one of them will say the same things to us it's they want to spend less money on energy they want to keep the lights on and they want to more and more become more sustainable to help what they believe is a major deficit in the federal areas around climate change and, and other aspects of how they use energy. And so they're being proactive to be more sustainable as corporate initiatives. Um, and, that, and there's some competitive threats and benefits uh, associated with doing that, that they believe uh, will come to them over time. But they also are doing it because they, they fundamentally want to make a difference. Those three things on the energy side are driving all of the energy conversations we're having. Now, the fourth one that we find on the CNI side is that almost all the, all the time they are not only thinking about energy investments from an energy perspective almost all the time they are looking at energy investments with both an energy lens as well as a what will this do for me from an operational benefit perspective so for example a great example would be if they could get insight into how their on-site generation systems are operating through the implementation of energy monitoring or IoT systems on those that give them real-time data and visualization over their performance. And by doing that, they can also enroll those assets in demand response. Well, that's a, that's a home run for them. And so all these CNI customers are looking at it from those two perspectives, which is a big challenge for the utilities, I think. And, and, and I'll talk about Blue Pillar's you know, perspective on that particular term because we've largely stopped using it. Uh, but the perspective that most utilities and most energy companies have is this is only about energy. And yet the customer perspective is this is about energy and operational benefit. And that's the that's an area where Blue Pillar is constantly trying to bridge the gap because we never started selling to uh, to serve energy services companies. We started selling to CNI customers. We've been selling to CNI customers for ten years. Only over the last three years did we start to look at how we could help energy service providers win more customers. But this is a prime thing that we tell them is you have to understand the perspective of the customer is not purely energy. It's energy and operations, and both of those things have to come together. So when we talk about customers owning more of their energy, people often think about a residential customer putting in a solar panel. But 
you've been working a lot with CNI customers, and that's really what our conversation has been largely focused on today on the show. So what are they doing behind the meter, and what do they want to change about their relationship with the utility? Sure, sure. Yeah, so again, coming back to those, those, and I'm going to talk about the energy one specifically, but if you think about it, right, I want to save money, I want to keep the lights on, and I want to be have a, a, a smaller environmental impact, right? So efficiency, resiliency, sustainability. If you kind of bucket those three things as the primary drivers for most energy-related investments in, in the CNI space, then you can start to follow the money, if you will, on how those things get done. So on the efficiency side, well, what's happening there? On the efficiency side, they're constantly looking at ways to reduce their energy footprint per square foot, right? And there's a bunch of different ways in which they're doing that, some of which are they're, they're doing on their own, meaning there's no utility involved. For example, uh, on-site energy management systems uh, is an example where they're starting to compare buildings versus buildings, uh, sites versus sites. They're looking at anomalies of their energy spending. They're doing bill uh, utility bill management. They're doing all of these things specifically focused on saving money. Uh, another area would be, and this one's tried and true, with utilities, and again, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily call this efficiency, but they look at it as ways to spend less money or ways to get more incentives would be demand response. I mean, clearly demand response is in the CNI arena. They, they, they know it. They, they use it. They, in many cases, uh, leverage it in a big way. Uh, and so CNI, again, would fall into this category of saving the money, but it would also bridge over to resiliency for a lot of reasons as well. Uh, but those are examples. If you look in the future, or if you look at kind of the new stuff that's coming out, there are, there are I mean, I, I can count probably 50 solution providers right now that do things associated with either HVAC optimization, where they're actually able to run algorithms to determine how to uh, balance HVAC systems or, or better utilize BAS, building automation systems, to help save money. Uh, and there's dozens of companies that do that. There's obviously companies that are using, are doing lighting, smart lighting, uh, and smart capabilities around lighting. Again, energy investments for the purposes of saving money. If you look on the resiliency side, it's a little bit more challenging. Uh, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, most of them really want to make resiliency investments, but those resiliency investments are often difficult to justify from an ROI perspective. But the big ones that we often see on the resiliency side are the predictive maintenance associated with monitoring energy-related infrastructure, especially at sites that have a very large, significant amount of on-site generation. Uh, this is pre-microgrid and, and, and pre-DERs, but I mean, you know, we, we often talk in this industry about DERs, and it typically has been, you know, excluding any on-site emergency generation or even on-site CHP. But if you look at the magnitude of distributed generation in the U.S. and being quite frankly even the world, it's the amount of on-site solar and on-site wind or on-site batteries is dwarfed by the amount of on-site diesel, natural gas, and CHP. And so those assets already exist. And so many customers initially are saying, look, we just want to know what's going on with those. We want to make sure they're going to turn on and operate. And then, yes, if we add clean versions of that over time, we're going to want the same thing. We're going to want to monitor that. We're going to want to know it's on and so forth. And so that idea of monitoring this critical infrastructure has been a big driver. 
the third area is sustainability. This is where we start to see microgrids. This is where we start to see on-site generation, battery storage, also playing into the demand charge reductions on the efficiency side, uh, but where we're starting to see on-site investments uh, in, in on-site generation. That is what the, in our industry would call DERs. Uh, and certainly, you know, I think that you, you, the, the solar numbers in CNI certainly reflect that and, and battery storage numbers in CNI certainly reflect that as well. Tom, I'm convinced that you've read our report over the state of the distributed grid. So you mentioned, you know, energy efficiency is kind of that top focus area. That's actually exactly what our report says for the top three areas underway for CNI customers in this area. Energy efficiency and then energy management systems are also there in the top three as well. But something else you said when you were talking about resiliency kind of caught my ear because I think it does... It also is representative of this larger challenge of thinking about how um, energy and operations come together for commercial and industrial customers. And you mentioned that there is difficulty in kind of creating this business case around resiliency. Do you attribute that to that this disconnect between how energy affects CNI customers and their operations and that's leading to difficulty in articulating some of the ROI in making more resilient systems? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is an area that, that we focused a lot on because, you know, clearly when you look at climate change and you look at the impacts of that, you know, clearly energy resiliency is a big issue. You know, you, you, and you have, you have things being done that people don't even realize are being done around energy resiliency. For example, the, there, are, there are hospitals all over and universities all over New York City that are taking their critical energy infrastructure and moving it to the fourth floor of their facility up from the basement. And they're doing that to avoid flood issues. You know, things like that are being done. Now, that investment is clearly driven by resiliency. It's driven by the ability to withstand massive storm-based, you know, issues or, or problems. But the challenge is resiliency has always been largely in the land of, and I'll just use an analogy, largely in the, the land of AAA. Right. It, you know, I don't know if Dylan or you, you or Aaron are are triple A members, but if you know triple A, it's the you know, the travel. You know, I have a flat tire on the side of the road service. And I often ask people, what is what is the payback on triple A? What's the ROI for you on triple A if you're a member? And the answer is the payback is zero unless it's two in the morning and you have a flat tire on a road that you didn't expect. Right. Then the payoff is astronomically good. Uh, and that's the problem. That's the problem with resiliency. How do you how do you actually value the ROI associated with AAA? Uh, and so there's a conversation around that that's a real challenge. And and us in the energy space has not have not helped that. And I'll give you an example of how of how we've not helped that. Uh, five years ago, ten years ago, critical facilities could utilize uh, demand response programs and PJM and ERCOT to enroll diesel generators. Now, mind you, I know they're dirty and you know we can all make that argument, but they could enroll diesel generators in emergency demand response programs. Now, what that meant was in the event a, a marketplace, but in, let's argue a utility, was going out of power, they were going to have a blackout, they could call on these distributed energy resources, in this case, diesel dirty gensets, and ask those, those facilities to go to island mode uh, or to turn those on so 
so that they could prevent an outage from hitting the entire marketplace, right, or, or a much larger swath of their customer base. Well, that used to be an incentive that those facilities could tap into in the demand response market to invest in energy resiliency because the same systems that they would invest to do that activity could also be used to monitor those generators, to help them understand what's going on, to help them look at how they're gonna add new energy systems to their facilities. And when the EPA came in, largely lobbied by the energy industry, when the EPA disvalidated that or said, that is no, you can't do that any longer, You're, we're not gonna allow dirty gensets to be enrolled in demand response, many of those resiliency investments that had a huge positive for how the energy microgrids could be built as a first step got shut down. Uh, and we, you know, I believe strongly that the energy, the market made a mistake. And by the way, without that ability to rely on that now, PJM and ERCOT, they're going to have to get that load from somewhere. Then that's going to just create on-site our, our centralized generation conversations, which are going to bring up, you know, natural gas or, or coal and everything else that the industry doesn't like either, you know. So it's, this is very interesting, you know, byproduct of a resiliency conversation that used to have economic ROI taken away by not understanding actually how the whole problem works. So if that's the case, then how can utilities make this relationship a bit easier on themselves and on their CNI customers and not end up making themselves obsolete down the road. All right, this is this is all right, probably one of the 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 greatest questions of our time, right? Uh, it's the whole it's the whole death spiral conversation. It's the whole, you know, disruptive utility change and 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 I'll I'll just share with you, you know, and I've spent as I mentioned 10 years in the quote unquote regulated utility space, okay? So full out hardcore utility mindset where in customers were rate payers, not consumers, right? So that's that was my background 10 years ago and before I took over to CEO Blue Pillar. And Blue Pillar has abolished the term utility from our vocabulary, primarily because we think that mindset is obsolete. It, it, it's just going to be obsolete. And so what we typically have said, and we call, by the way, even utilities will refer to them as this, we call them energy service providers. The same way your internet ser service provider provides you bandwidth, a energy service provider may certainly provide you electricity today, but they will likely provide you a bunch of other energy services over time. And so a utility, a regulated utility, is often in our mindset an energy service provider without a triple play. They have a single play. That's electric, you know, electric uh, KWH coming into your house, right? Whereas a more advanced energy service provider, and let me just use an example like a whatever you would call NG or whatever you would call, you know, Centrica, uh, whatever these types of companies are where they have not only KWH retail operations, but they also can build you a microgrid. They also can privatize your entire, you know, uh, Ohio State University uh, energy business. Whatever those things are, that's an energy service provider with multiple product lines. And so what we tend to look at and say is the biggest question here is not, it, yes, there is a conversation around how utilities can play, but it's also what, you know, really, how does a utility, a, a quote unquote regulated utility, how are they going to actually evolve from a regulatory perspective into a multi-product company, into a multi-product service provider? Uh, because there are comp competitors that are already doing that. And the question for me is not, it's, it's who's going to win that conversation. 
because again, there's plenty of companies that are being launched and or are, are evolving dramatically to more or less say that we are the energy service provider of the future and utilities are behind in that conversation, not ahead in most cases. So just based on the way things are going right now, if you, if you were a betting man, who is going to win that conversation? If I'm a betting man and I, and I, and I, wouldn't certainly place bets on uh, on this particular one because I don't really claim to know at this point in time. But what I will say is it's whoever won the customer trust to solve their challenges. And that that is, I think, where the utilities have some benefit uh, and they actually have a real advantage in some cases is if, and in, in this is E-Prime certainly could probably articulate that, do consumers trust, especially on the CNI side, trust their utilities, uh, explicitly trust? And if they do trust them, then I believe that they have a absolute great chance to be a company that could be offering them new services over time, provided the regulatory uh, you know, regulator allows that, um, either through their retail group or directly. Uh, with that said, they're going to have to play catch up because you know right now, Companies like NG, companies like an LX, companies like Shell, uh, Shell Connected Energies, you know, companies, uh, companies like that are creating arsenals of new products and new capabilities. They're gobbling up retailers. They're gobbling up demand response companies. They're gobbling up uh, battery storage and EV charging companies. They're not doing that because they expect that the utilities are going to beat them. They're doing that because they're creating a brand new energy service provider with multi-product lines, in my opinion. We didn't ask particularly whether or not CNI trusts their utilities, but we did ask what role or how much of a role CNI customers expected utilities to play in their long-term distributed grid and uh, DER strategy. And over about 50% said that they expect utilities to play an important role in that strategy. So they do want utilities involved in this. And I think that's also because there is that lack of understanding, Tom, like you mentioned, utilities know how to do some of these things and have that knowledge to help uh, CNI customers better leverage a distributed grid strategy because there is just a general lack of understanding. When we asked CNI customers, you know, how much do you know about energy storage and backup generators? Under 50% of the respondents said that they, they had a good understanding of those areas and how to use them. Same with energy management systems. Uh, very low understanding of how exactly to fully leverage that in a distributed grid strategy. So we know that, at least from our research, they are open to the idea and welcoming of the idea of having utilities involved in their strategy. It's just really figuring out what role exactly they play and then how does that um, transfer of knowledge kind of happen appropriately so that you can move together and it is profitable for both the parties involved. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not surprised by that, actually, because when we, you know, our CNI customers will tell us over and over again, if you go into an average CNI customer, you're typically talking to one of one of three people. You're talking to a facilities manager. You're talking to a, a potentially an on-site energy manager. That's rare, but occasionally you will find those in large facilities. Or you're talking to a C-level executive that has a sustainability, you know, target goal uh, focus. Um, if you kind of go through that list, you know, the facility managers, this is the, the most amazing, you know, kind of statistics we heard. They will spend 80 to 90% of their time in that facility in break fix mode, not thinking about energy, thinking about literally uh, the light bulbs went off, the air conditioner just broke, the, you know, stuff that would just every single day, seven hours out of eight hours, 
are spent worried about basic facility operations. So think about that. One hour a day, they have to be proactive. One hour a day, they have to think about these challenges. And so I, you know, it, it, one of the things we espouse to all of our energy service provider partners is there's a great opportunity because they don't have the time to understand the technologies, the capabilities, the energy markets. They don't have the time. And so if you can bring them a compelling product offering with a good ROI and you can do that in a way as a trusted advisor, there's great opportunities here. So those stats actually, I, I'm not shocked at all and, and I'm glad to hear it because I think that, you know, that's, that's exactly what we're hearing from the marketplace. We don't have the time. This isn't our core business and we need help. For the CNI customers who are kind of going it alone or at the very least taking on more of that taking on more of their energy burden themselves. Uh, what challenges are they facing with evolving their energy production and consumption? And what role do the connectivity platforms we talked about earlier play in addressing those challenges? Yeah, so so first is is that operational time that I just talked about. That's one of the biggest challenges that they face is they don't have the they don't have the time, they don't have the uh, the, the opportunity to spend uh, and and to understand the technology and the approaches and so forth. So that's that's a big one, and and it, it does impact this industry in ways in profound ways. I think I think the customers, you know, ultimately the adoption rates of uh, around energy services or energy capabilities is dramatically hampered by the fact that the consumers themselves do not have the bandwidth to spend thinking about these challenges. Uh, with that said, the ones that are spending the time, you know, one of the biggest challenges they have is they don't really know um, where to start. They don't have the data. If you go into an average facility, you know, it's, it's astonishing, but you'll walk into the largest hospital in North America, and it is not infrequent that they will have information associated with their air conditioning systems. Uh, they'll have a building automation system, for example, but they will have no clue what is going on in regards to any on-site generation. They get that data by testing it once a month and they write it in a clipboard. And so they don't even know in many cases what's going on uh, and they don't have the data analytics and capabilities to actually perceive that. That's why energy management systems were one of the most interesting things initially in this industry as, a, as an early adoption type of product is that they wanted to see what the heck was happening. What, what am I consuming? You know, what, what, uh, how is one building comparing to another building? So it made sense that that was kind of the first you know, foray into energy awareness, if you will, uh, but that energy awareness is a big challenge. Uh, the third one is is who is accountable, who is responsible. Um, you know, we, we were told a story one time uh, from a very, very large hospital system where they had spent a bunch of money investing in energy efficiency at multiple sites. So there was, there was about well over 50 sites that they had invested in where they were expecting to see dramatic changes on their utility bill because of these investments. And the facility folks were waiting to see these benefits and these ROIs and, and see their returns. And they were getting their bills back, and the, and the bills were virtually flat. There was no change in the electric spend, uh, or I'm sorry, in, in, the util in the bill actually price. And as they dove into it, they were like, you know, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Sure enough, what was happening was they were actually saving money. On a, on a, on a KWH perspective, they were saving money, but the finance team was actually being incentivized on cash flow. So they were paying the bills late and incurring late charges that were offsetting the savings associated with energy. And yet, so the utility bill looked identical. Uh, and these were things that you just start to find out over time. It's who's responsible, who, 
are these aligned? Is everybody's uh, mindset aligned? And that's why some of the larger facilities are starting to bring in energy managers, uh, even on site and have professional certified energy managers in some cases, uh, sustainability, uh, you know, uh, uh, officers, things like that. Uh, and you see this big time in the European uh, CNI space where they, you know, sustainability is often one of their top five corporate initiatives. You see that a little less in the U.S., but you see it in a big way in Europe. Uh, but those are some of the big challenges. I mean, the other is the proliferation of vendors, right? So if you think about it, if, if you had one hour a day to spend looking at ways in which you're going to invest in energy, and in that hour you had well over 200 solutions or services, you know, energy solution or energy services companies that you could meet with, uh, how do you keep that all straight from a facility perspective? This is why some of the larger players are going to help, you know, that the, that, that these energy service providers coming in with multiple product offerings is going to help this industry, we believe. And even though, you know, we're, we're an innovative startup, uh, we also believe that the service provider side is, is, is a big boy's game. I mean, it's going, to be, it's going to require some of these guys to have five, six, seven offerings so that that one meeting can produce a lot of results. Because um, I, I think the time issue is going to be a big factor in the decision process. It sounds like there's a, there's a lot to consider when you're a CNI customer trying to trying to take command of your energy and make uh, make the right deals with electric service providers. We're coming up on time here soon, but I wanted to talk a little bit about your upcoming ETS panel that we're going to be on together. Uh, it's called the Love Connection: Leveraging IoT in Strategy and Engagement in a New Energy World. What are you hoping people take away? from this panel. Yeah, I'm extremely excited about the panel. First off, I'm extremely excited about attending ETS. I happen to be a first timer uh, from, uh, and, I, and I'm shocked to say that because I, I've literally just had conflicts every single time for the last three years, uh, but it's been uh, a conference that literally everybody raves about. It's one, I, mean, I tell everybody it's, it's certainly the highest thought leadership conference that I've, uh, that I've uh, you know, been, been advocating for, if you will, and, and we had Blue Pillar employees attend last year. Uh, oh, but, don't uh, make us blush, Tom. Don't make us yeah, blush. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, t I, 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 I appreciate what you guys are doing, and, and the, uh, the lineup speaks for itself when it comes to the, the types of uh, people that are coming to, to participate. So, uh, but you know, it's going to be an interesting panel. The panel's consisting of people that come from a CNI perspective, uh, both myself and, and, uh, and two other gentlemen that are going to be joining. And then we're also going to have perspectives from the, one of these uh, new age energy service providers uh, with Eric Bradley from Shell. So some very exciting uh, kind of perspectives on how a service provider and how people that are focused on customers, how do you bring these things together? IoT in a, in a, you know, is, is certainly one aspect of that and getting the data and control necessary. But I think the really interesting part of this conversation is going to be IoT is an enabler. The conversation is really answer this question. How do you link what is a multi-product service provider to what a customer needs to go accomplish, and can you bridge those in a ways that utilizes technology innovation in in a in, in a way that everybody benefits? So I think that's kind of really what we're trying to explore. Uh, and Dylan, I'm, I, I know you're you're uh, going to be uh, moderating that, and uh, I'm sure you're going to ask the tough questions and get us down that path. Oh yeah, I'll have the tan jacket on and everything. You better be ready. No, good uh, stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> That panel we discussed is going to be at 145 on Wednesday, April 17th at the Austin City Limits Moody Theater in Austin, Texas. For more information on ETS19, you can head to ets19.co. Tom, thank you very much for being on today and 
talking to us about this very important issue of the CNI customer and what their energy future looks like. Excellent. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate you having me. We'll see you soon. And Aaron, thanks for coming on and providing the relevant research and stimulating conversation as always. Thank you, Dylan. You can find our research and media at etsinsights.com. You can find us on social media at zprime underscore research at Aaron underscore Hardick at D.Y. Lockwood. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.